Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. So I'm here with Katie Capon. She is our nurse at Stat Wellness, and I'm sure a lot of you listening have met her. She's absolutely incredible. And she has a really interesting story to me because she came from the burn ICU, which not very many nurses, I feel like, end up in a burn ICU. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so she has seen some serious things in her career as a nurse. And then she's also done nursing work in Africa, right? Yeah. And abroad. And so she's seen a lot of different things. And, and one of her passions that we're really going to talk about today is the nurse burnout. And some of the trauma that nurses face that maybe are aware of the trauma or not aware of the trauma. So kind of tell us about some of the burnout statistics as it relates to nurses. Sure. So one of the the biggest statistics that's jumped out at me is within the first two years of of nurses coming straight out of school, within the first two years, about 33.2% of those nurses leave the bedside within the first two years. And that's a huge number. It's one of the highest numbers of burnout with any other profession. Two years. I mean, like a lot of times professions, you're like just learning what you're doing at two years, you know, and 33%, that's more than a third of nurses. Yeah. So what have you found? Like, what are some of the things that you think play a role in this burnout? Like from your career, you have Mm -hmm. a lot of friends that are nurses. Like what have you found that plays a big role with that statistic? Yeah, well, I think it's probably a few different things. Um, Just some of the easiest things to touch on would be um, understaffing in hospitals. I mean, hospitals, obviously they have to, they have to make money to function. And so one of the big ways that they do that is they try to have like the least amount of nurses per patient ratios as possible. Um, Because, you know, the less salaries you're paying, the more money the hospital is going to be able to make for patient care. Um, The problem with that is, you know, we have, especially these new nurses, they're just trying to learn the basics and they are already overloaded right off the bat within the first couple of years. And a lot of them actually feel a ton of shame with that because they're feeling like, oh my goodness, how am I already burnt out after the first six months, the first year of nursing and feel like they just can't cut it. Maybe they made the wrong career choice. And oftentimes that's one of the biggest reason they leave, um, just being understaffed. And then number two, not feeling like they have a lot of support, um, within like hospital leadership with charge nurses. And, and oftentimes that's because those people also are overloaded. Mm -hmm. And I worked in the emergency room and I know we were a level two trauma center. And so Mm -hmm. we were seeing a lot of high acuity patients for sure. So they always tried to keep it at four patients to one nurse was Mm -hmm. the max, Mm -hmm. but there would be times where you're checking in two ambulances with patients and you can't possibly be in two rooms at the same time. Right. And there's times where you're short staffed and you're seeing Mm -hmm. six, you know, sometimes even eight patients. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, one of the other things that I think played a role, especially for me and what I hear is hours, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, Oh, you're a nurse. You work three days and have four (laughs) days off. That's like my favorite (laughs) thing that people tell me all the time. Uh And the hospital I worked at a week was Wednesday to Wednesday. Yeah. And so you're three days, if Mm -hmm. the, depending on how the weeks go, you could, really in a Monday through Friday work for 
five mm-hmm. days, but you're doing three days per Wednesday to Wednesday. Oh yeah. And then you're working 12 hour shifts. Yeah. So for me, I worked 3 PM to 3 AM was my shift. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I didn't have a night and I didn't have a morning oh. and I like felt so like I tough. never was able to see the sun, you know, and do anything outside. No. And so I think that also plays a big role. Mm-hmm. And Kind of talk a little bit, because we know the burnout rate's really big. We know, you know, some of those issues that you talked about with, like, the understaffing, mm-hmm. maybe some not enough time for, like, good leadership and everything. But what about, like, the actual patients and the things mm-hmm. people see in the hospital? How yeah. does that play a role in burnout? Or maybe um, – I know we were using some different terms, which I found mm-hmm. really interesting earlier. Uh, how does that play a role? Oh, man, it's huge. I mean, depending on the unit that you're working in, I mean, for me personally, my first like actual hospital job was in a burn ICU that eventually converted to a burn trauma ICU. So, I mean, you know, when you think about nurses, especially in those units, think about they're experiencing people's worst day of their lives, sometimes multiple times a day. And, you know, being in the ICU, you're supposed to have about two patients per nurse. Um, and these are critically ill patients. Um, So, I mean, nurses are seeing people with visual traumatic injuries, and also they're not only taking care of the patient, they're also taking care of the family that's walking in onto the unit and seeing this terrible thing, this accident that's happened to a family member. And so, you know, you're really, you're absorbing a lot of pain and at the same time trying to save a life. And I think one of the interesting things, I know you guys have heard me talk about this before on the podcast, but I'm really into the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And when you look at nurses in general, a lot of nurses are helpers. Yes. And that's a number two on the Enneagram. And so they are there to serve. They're compassionate yes. and they care. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that obviously makes them an awesome nurse, but they're going to feel what mm-hmm. their patients feel. Like yes. I, I know for me, like I'll, I'll be meeting with a patient that has a sore throat mm-hmm. and I literally will like feel a little bit of a sore throat. And I know that probably makes me sound crazy, but I, I want to feel what they feel. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, really exhausting. It can be exhausting, especially when you have patients that are experiencing a lot of physical pain. Um, you know, I remember being in the room with patients who, I mean, you can only give someone so much pain medication without harming them to an extent. And I just remember people experiencing pain and me actually feeling it in my body. And even now, you know, and I've worked through, you know, a lot of working through secondary trauma on my own time and it's gotten a lot better, but still, you know, there will be a moment where, um, I remember my husband, Kyle and I, we went camping and our dog's tail got in the fire just a little bit and she was fine, but I, I smelt that, um, burnt hair smell. And then I just had all these memories rush back and this, these emotions of sadness and anxiety. And, and I didn't even know what they were coming from, you know? And then after thinking about it for a few seconds, being like, okay, this is a, a memory, a visual, physical memory that I'm having from work. And I think one of the big things I feel like when it's your job, you don't always understand how that trauma that you're going through is impacting your physical health and yeah. your relationships. Absolutely. And I know one of the things we've talked about is even like the depression, the anxiety, mm-hmm. the suicide rate, you know, those mm-hmm. things that are really big concerns that are in the healthcare profession, yeah. um, you know, even outside of nurses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know for me, there's so many vivid things that I've experienced, even in my short time in the ER, that like I will. 
I will remember those things to the day that I die, you know, those memories. Like I, and it's led it, it's kind of bled into the way that I uh, parent, you Mm -hmm. know, I think about, Mm -hmm. I worked in the pediatric ER, you know, some of the babies that had come in that had suffocated Mm -hmm. when, you know, through sleeping and things like you see so much. And Mm -hmm. then it reminds you when you have a baby of your own, like that child and what happened. And so as we're talking about, it's something that stays with you forever. Mm -hmm. So what are some, is there any signs that you want the nurses that are maybe listening to this or healthcare providers, or maybe you're not in the healthcare space at all and you're feeling, you know, burnout in your career this year, you know, we're in 2021 right now and mm-hmm. everybody listening is in the world everywhere sure. going, Absolutely. <laughs> going through a pandemic, <laughs> yes. going through COVID. And Katie and I were talking that statistic is, is pre-COVID, the 33%. Mm-hmm. So like that statistic now is probably even so much higher yes. with the pandemic, but is there anything that you would tell people to kind of look out for as signs mm-hmm. or or strategies that maybe they can do to kind of help maybe either separate the work or mm-hmm. work life or process through those emotions, recognize it? Do you have any yeah. like tips or tricks that you've sure. uncovered? Yeah. So I think the number one thing is just to, to recognize and just tell yourself, I'm working in a really difficult environment and to not just brush over that. Because I think part of the the toxic culture that ha- is in like nurses, doctors, things like that, is that we think this is my job. This is the way it's supposed to be. And I just have to get through it. And I think just acknowledging that that's not, that's not reality. Like we have, there has to be people in these positions and in order to stay in these positions and do them well, we have to acknowledge that it's hard and we have to acknowledge that we need things at work and outside of work to help us get through it in a, in a healthy, um, you know, sustaining kind of way. So, I mean, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I actually haven't met like you're a seven. It's awesome to like meet other nurses like that because it's always in the forefront of my mind. What's the best thing for me? I'm constantly thinking that. So I had a little bit of an easier time. I always put physical fitness. I had to be working out because for a lot of us, if we're not moving our bodies, you know, that's a huge way that we're able to release sadness, trauma, anxiety, um, to keep a good social life. I mean, even if you're an introvert, you need to be like having coffee with a friend or a family member that you really trust, someone who's easy to talk to at least once every couple of weeks. Um, You need to have an outside community. It can't just be the people in the hospital. I see a lot of healthcare workers, they're really isolated to their work family and all they talk about is work. (laughs) And it's like, that's that's good in in a way because that is helping you process. But in another sense, we have to realize that like when we're in the hospital or in a clinic, or whatever, that is a small snapshot of society. But to us, it feels like our whole entire universe because it is really intense. So definitely having people outside of healthcare is super, super important. And just realizing that we are a spiritual person, we're a physical person, we're mental and emotional and doing things that feed like your actual soul because our careers are important. And a lot of times it's our calling and that does feed our soul. But if we're not doing things that we enjoyed when we were younger, like painting and listening to music, making music, like whatever those things are, you have to rediscover those to work in high trauma environments. And you used the term earlier, compassion fatigue, which I really mm-hmm. like that term because um, I was we were talking about how in the emergency room, people would say, oh, those nurses are just so jaded. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, are they jaded or are they having to have some protective boundaries to not, you know, as we talked about feeling everything that Mm -hmm. these people are feeling when they come in, is there anything within your day to day, like in the hospital, in the workplace that you can do to help with the compassion fatigue, or Mm -hmm. have you found that it's more outside 
of the hospital, the things you do that you just mentioned that are the most helpful for helping you process what's happening in the hospital. Yeah. I think that that is really common and I'll never forget this story. My first um, job right out of school was in a small ER and there was, there was a death. It was the first death that I ever, ever, ever seen. And the wife of this patient came in and she was just crying and just very grieved. And the nurse that was taking care of him, she just looked at me and she said, if this ever doesn't bother you, you need to get out. You need to either take a break or change careers. And I've never forgotten that um, because that is so true. And even when I first started um, kind of in my career, seeing nurses that were absolutely jaded and, you know, I found myself judging them. But then as soon as I was a year or two, three years in, I was like, no, this is a real thing. And what happens, it's like as a self-protection mode, we can't feel every little thing. So there's a certain part of it that is healthy for us. We can't you know, weep and feel the extent of pain that every person is going through. Um, So we do have to try to organize that within our minds and within our bodies. But when we start to especially um, just completely be numb towards situations, that's a huge red flag. And there's things that we can do in the hospital. One, One helpful thing is when we experience something traumatic, you should have a team that debriefs with you the same day to talk about, you know, this happened. How did we handle it? How could we do better? And what are some of the emotions that we felt? Because we have to normalize um, feeling things as nurses or doctors, um, because if we don't, we just ignore it and it starts to affect our personal life. And outside of that, just, you know, I'm a huge advocate for counseling. I mean, a third party that you can talk to that you're not related to, they're not your friend, they're a professional who kind of helps you organize your thoughts, kind of helps you work through why you're having some of these emotions. And is that kind of mainstream practice to do the debriefing and a check-in? You know, everybody that was working on this traumatic case, like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Was that an experience that you had in the hospital? It was. I had an amazing leadership team in the burn unit. Um, They did things really well when it came to stuff like that because they realized from top down that we are experiencing a lot of really difficult things. And they knew if they were going to keep qualified, caring nurses, they would have to take care of us emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so after a code, you know, where someone dies in the hospital, it's traumatic, you know, whether they're 87 or whether they're seven. Um, And so we would typically, the physician and some nurses would get together and it wouldn't be long. It'd be 10 minutes. We'd kind of talk about, you know, tell people what they did really well, what they could have done differently, and then just kind of, you know, say, these are some resources for you. If you're, if this is hard for you, here are some resources that you can kind of look over later in your week to process through it. And did the hospital that you worked out, did they have counselors or mental health, like where you could go and talk to a professional within the hospital system? Or was that kind of something that you guys had to do outside of the hospital? Um, they did, but honestly, it, uh, it was kind of like a cold process. Like basically nurses will get an email once or twice a year to like assess their mental health, just a short survey. And then at the end, you know, they'll say, if you need to contact someone, here's the number. Um, and for most people, I find nurses are, they have to really trust someone before they're able to like open up about a lot of these things and just kind of handing out a piece of paper or sending out an email usually isn't enough. So I, I had a good support system at home and there were some people that recommended a great counselor for me. 
And did the counselor you went to specialize in healthcare or burnout or trauma or was it just somebody that you felt like you had good rapport with? It was really someone that I just felt like I had good rapport with and, but she did like kind of specialize in the area of like secondary trauma. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And for the people listening, like when you're using the term secondary trauma, what do you mean? So what I mean by that, it's like, you can experience, I call it big T trauma yourself. You get in a car accident, um, you are diagnosed with cancer, something that happens directly to you. Secondary trauma is you walking with someone who is actively going through a trauma. So that that could be a nurse in a hospital, that could be you um, living at home as a caregiver for your elderly parent. I mean, all those things can cause secondary trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I never really thought of that. And I think, you know, all this trauma and the things we're talking about, it's not just that it impacts our mental health. Like, it impacts our physical health. And, you know, obviously here at STAT, we take a functional medicine approach and we go through your whole health timeline and understand some of these traumas or secondary trauma or, you know, work environments, family dynamics that play a role in our mental health because we know it impacts our motility. It impacts our hormones. It impacts our appetite. It impacts our dopamine levels. Mm -hmm. You know, I talked to a lot of people that, you know, through the pandemic as a huge example, they've turned to, they drink every night now. Mm -hmm. I didn't used to drink every night. Now I like wait to come home for those two glasses glasses of wine, you know, that's become their coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as you mentioned, talking to them about getting some of those ways of moving their body or maybe doing Epsom salt baths or some of those things. But I also found it really interesting, like just as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking back to the first patient I lost in the hospital and doing compressions on a 15 year old Mm -hmm. and ultimately losing this 15 year old and the mom and dad just bawling. We did not do a debrief. I never talked to anybody. They were like, Chris, and you're checking in another ambulance, like, <laughs> right. Like here's another person going through trauma, yeah. you know, and just like totally skirting over that thing. And you can never deal with it. And maybe you deal with it 10 years later when like your marriage is failing <laughs> you're like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I know. Right. And you're thinking, and you're like, man, this is bringing back those memories of just yeah. like, so I think for the people listening, like it's really, it's, it's a, I'm really excited to hear that the unit you were working in, like did it, it doesn't make the work that you did any less hard, mm-hmm. but that they had this debriefing and these, you know, checking in on how everybody's doing and, and giving resources and talking about it. And I think, you know, if there's one thing that everybody is hopefully getting out of this conversation is it can impact anybody at any point in their totally. life outside the hospital, inside mm-hmm. the hospital, whether you're a healthcare worker, whether you're an engineer mm-hmm. and communication, checking in on how you're feeling having some ways, you know, to, I always, I I tell people, and I find this interesting too, is when I talk with my patients, I'm like, what do you really enjoy doing? Mm. And a lot of people have no clue. A lot. Yes. No clue. Totally. And so, you know, even as we talk about some things that you found were really helpful exercise and those things you really enjoyed getting together with your friends, the community, the meeting for tea or coffee or those things, it's important for us all just check in and say like, what do I really enjoy? Yeah. What brings me joy? Right. And how can you fit that in? Um, is there anything else that you want to share that you've learned? I know, um, this has really become exciting to me, like a passion of Katie's and she has started her own podcast. I don't know if you've launched it. Haven't launched it yet. Don't even have a name. So, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's hopefully coming. Um, but she started interviewing some people in the healthcare space and talking about these things. And I think, you know, bringing awareness to this, uh, because I, I don't think it's talked about much. I think it's kind of just like brushed under. And then you hear on the news, there's nurse shortages and, Mm -hmm 
well, let's talk about why. Let's talk about how to retain employees. And this is just such an important topic right now. Anything, this whole, you know, podcast is about little by little, little becomes a lot. Is there any kind of last things you want to share of what our listeners could do Mm -hmm. to maybe kind of work on their mental health through whatever tough situation uh, they're in, whatever burnout they're feeling, compassion, fatigue, whatever it's looking for, Mm -hmm. looking like for the person? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, just starting small, like having those thoughts in your head, what do I enjoy? And not feeling bad about trying something, you know, I'm going to go take a pottery class or something. If I hate it, I hate it, but at least you tried something new. And there's something really important about just like even the neurons in our brain doing new fun activities that do not require a lot of um, mental strain for us. So I think just starting off small, try to do something new, especially if you're one of those people that's like, I'm a two on the Enneagram. I like, I live my life to help people, my job, my family, my friends, I'm helping everyone try to like take yourself outside of that routine and and do something small just for yourself. And also if like a lot of us feel shame when, when we're struggling with some of these emotions, burnout, secondary trauma, anxiety, depression, Oftentimes, if there's shame attached to an emotion, that's the thing you really need to pay attention to and share with someone else because it's the shame that keeps us from actually talking to others and it keeps us in that unhealthy cycle. And the third thing, I think if you're in a difficult position, if you're in healthcare, if you're a counselor, if you're helping care for like an elderly sick parent, like you probably have a really big calling on your life to do that. And just because it's really hard right now, it it doesn't mean that you're not cut out for it. I think if anything, it means you are cut out for it. If you're still feeling those emotions, if you're having a tough time, that means you still have a soul and you just need to take care of it. (laughs) I feel like we talked about like, it's almost more worrisome if you don't care about any of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've met people like that. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like you're so far gone. You're so numb. Like you can't even see how much you need to get out of this right now. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I always love to just like tell people is like, we also do believe in pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. and totally there is a time when that is the right thing Mm -hmm. for you. Like there could be a time where you, no matter what new thing you try, you just don't enjoy anything. Yeah. You use up things you enjoyed. And so you know, just use this as permission to mm-hmm. talk about pharmaceutical options and know that yes. there's no shame if you need medicine. Right. And we, you may need medicine for a certain season of your life, mm-hmm. and then you may be able to come off it. And um, those things can be really powerful in your healing journey too. So thank you so much, Katie. You're this welcome. is wonderful. Thanks. And uh, reach out to us if you guys have any questions about this. If you have any follow-up thoughts, we'd love to hear maybe what are some of your struggles and maybe we can do a follow-up kind of Q&A because I know we have a lot of nurses, counselors, mm-hmm. PAs, nurse practitioners, uh, even physicians, radiologists that are our patients. Yes. And these are things that we hear and talk about all the time. So if you guys are listening and you want to elaborate on any of this, like, please let us know. And uh, we'd love to hop on here again. This is a topic we're both passionate about. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stat Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.